So we have had some really big news in the last week or so um, that's come out all over the news channels. Star Wars nerds going crazy absolutely everywhere. <laughs> you yourself have been having some bits that you've been put online. I see you dancing with Grogu, to be fair, to the news <laughs> of what's been going down. Um, but it's been announced there is going to be a Mandalorian and Grogu film as well as a season four. This is absolutely fantastic news. Um, I was a bit worried that they were going to be doing just the film instead of a season four. Even then, I don't think I would have been too mad. But the news that we are still going to get a season four that's then going to end with the film, um, I think is the, the prevailing theory of how they're going to do it. I am absolutely stoked about this. How about yourself? What are you feeling about this news? Man, I've been one of those uh, YouTube watchers that's like, okay, everyone's saying that the film is coming to light, but then it got rejected. And then all of a sudden on a random Tuesday morning, Star Wars likes to post that we're getting the next movie in theaters and it's The Mandalorian and Grogu. And I love this, obviously, like you said, I had my Grogu uh, puppet <laughs> down and we were going ham. But, uh, you know, I can't, I can't wait for it. I think it's a great idea and I'm just glad it's happening. Absolutely. Fantastic news. Any expectations in terms of, we know obviously we're building towards the, the Dave Filoni Mandoverse film that's going to be wrapping up all the stories of the, the Mandalorian, Boba Fett, Ahsoka, even Skeleton Crew. Apparently it's going to be wrapping that up, which, you know, hopefully we'll get Skeleton Crew at some point soon. Um, yeah. I still know nothing about this, about this series and when that's going to be dropping, but um, it's going to be wrapping up all those stories. So anything you want to see in season four of the Mando and, and the film they're doing that builds towards that storyline? Um, I think my main thing is I just want a, a fresh start. I kind of want it to be along the lines of uh, season one and season two. Um, I feel like season three, we kind of expected what was going to happen with season one and two. It was just, it was brand new every week. So hmm. um, plus with the film, I don't think we're going to have as much filler. And um, I think every scene is just going to be getting after it. And I hope we get to see a new villain that can maybe um, actually defeat uh, Din Djarin and Din Grogu and then meet up with Thrawn and kind of um, take alongside of each other. And then the big movie, Filoni's mm. movie, comes out. So I hope it's just a precursor to Filoni's film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Are we expecting Thrawn to play a part in season four or the film at all? I mean, that's what we're building up to, isn't it? He's going to use like the Thanos of, of this era for Star Wars in a way. Everything, all roads lead to the showdown with Thrawn. So yeah, we had the, was it the Shadow Council, was it, in season three of Mando with, with Moff Gideon and, and the rest? And obviously yes. they were talking about waiting for Thrawn to come back. So presumably we are going to get, I'm not expecting him to be the big bad of the series. You know, maybe that background overall, overarching, sorry, bad guy like like Thanos was from the Avengers. Um, but you know, surely we're expecting to see a bit of Thrawn in, in this series in the film. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe we'll catch up with him. Uh, you know, the entire Mandoverse likes to catch up with other characters uh, set in the universe. So maybe we can see him behind the scenes. But maybe if we don't, uh, I think he's just going to be kind of a, a silent killer. Mm. Speaking of Thrawn, we got some news. You know, he's come from a Saker series one in, in live action, and. You know, sneakily in the news that was announced in the in the Mandalorian and Grogu snapshot that um, that Lucasfilm and Star Wars gave us about it, there was the news in there as well that Ahsoka season two is also in development. This was the first sort of real official confirmation that we were going to be getting season two. It was up in arms a bit in terms of whether that was definitely going to do it or whether they were going to do something that just led towards the film. But again, some more fantastic news for us Star Wars nerds. 
surely everyone's got to be psyched for a Sega season two. How about you? Yeah, you know, it's just just like Mando and Grogu. I think it's going to be a good thing to see them um, back again, but mainly for Balin and Shin to see what they're mm. what's next for them. Um, obviously, it's Ahsoka show, and I love uh, Ahsoka's character, but uh, I I think Balin and Shin just really stole it for me. Plus, live action Thrawn can't go wrong. Yeah, absolutely, and I would obviously expect Thrawn to play a decent part in season two, even though, again, I think he's going to be more background. And they're obviously going to focus on, you know, um, Ahsoka and Sabine in the other galaxy with, obviously, Balin and Shin. And they obviously focus a little bit on, I think, Hera and Ezra. And in, in yeah. obviously, the in the Star Wars galaxy, there'll be maybe a, a slightly side part story going towards it. But all roads lead together. It's all mm-hmm. coming together, I think. I can't wait for this. Um, I'm super excited. Hopefully we can get this sooner rather than later. Um, I think the rumours for the Mando Grogu film have said that you know, development's starting this year. So I'm guessing maybe 2026, or maybe 2020, maybe 2025 we get the series and 2026 the film. Um, or obviously if they roll, you know, they use the film to be the finale of the series, it will rolls into one. So who knows? We'll obviously have to wait and find out. But um, one other quick bit of Star Wars news that's been um, sort of creeping around the last couple of days was that Daisy Ridley's new Jedi Order film was going to be delayed indefinitely. Um, someone pointed this out to me a couple of days ago, and I was like, okay, okay, interesting, because apparently the writer was deciding he was going to focus on his Peaky Blinders movie instead. Um, Lucasfilm apparently have come out and said, this isn't true, everything's still on track, it's all still going ahead, no delays, so... Any thoughts on that one, or is it just... I mean, I didn't even know where these rumours come from sometimes, for then Lucasfilm to have to come out and deny it straight away and say, everything's all good, we're still on track. But any thoughts on that? Right, yeah, that's kind of how I look at it, too. Is I mean, you kind of have to take every piece of news, unless it's from Star Wars itself, uh, with a grain of salt. But I think <clears throat> what's, like, Charmino Bates-Shinoy, like, obviously she's getting some backlash right now. And I think the... Peaky Blinders, um, like new movie that they're trying to focus on. I feel like that is just to kind of dumb that down a little bit. Mm-hmm. That way they can kind of stop all that noise. But I mean, that's just kind of what I take from it. I hope it's uh, still on its way because I want it to be kind of salvaged. I think it it could it has the potential to be obviously be a really good film. Yeah, um, and and maybe a bit of uh, Din Grogu showing up. I think I asked you that question before, maybe um, as well, but. I was like, I, I can't see how they wouldn't want to take an opportunity. You know, yeah. Mando himself would be, if this is set 15 years after the end of the sequels, um, you know, Mando himself, because we're at the stage where it's about, what, 20, 25 years before the sequels now in the Mandoverse? Yep. Um, so, you know, at an extra 35 years onto that, <laughs> Din is going to be very old himself. So, if not, you know, have, have gone out in a blaze of glory somewhere down the line. Um, and so Din Grogu's got to start off somewhere, and maybe after all this time without without Din Djarin around, he decides to go back to the Jedi. And who better the two? Uh, and obviously the boost in sales and toys would not exactly be a bad thing for uh, for Lucasfilm to have yeah. uh, Grogu showing up in that either, would it? So, <laughs> yeah, it's a win-win. Welcome to the Galactic Core Podcast. Here to review the latest films and TV shows from all your favorite intergalactic universes. Now, it's time to get your geek on. Please welcome your host, the prophesized chosen one. It's Andy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Galactic Core podcast. 
We are back with another fantastic episode and a friend of the show returning to continue our review of Star Wars all through everything. So every film, every TV show um, that's been done, I'm making my way through it all and reviewing it. And to do all of the prequel films, we have, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Clan Brandalorian. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> What's going on, man? How you doing? Yeah, I'm all good. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, today, we're going to be reviewing um, Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. You obviously joined me for Episode 1 uh, that came out, I think it was uh, end of November, when that, was, um, when that episode then came out, or start of December, something around then. Um, and obviously, we're going to be doing Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith as well. I know we're both looking forward to having a good chat about that one. Oh, yeah. But, um, got a little firm in the middle of that to take care of, first of all. Um, before we get to that, um, I had asked you since we were covering all prequel films to each time we review a film to give me um, you know, your top all time favorite Star Wars projects. So we're doing your top three last time round. We had number three, uh, which is the Mandalorian. This time we're doing your second favorite all time Star Wars project. Hit me with it. What's number two? All right. It's Return of the Jedi. Ooh, interesting choice. <clears throat> it was a very close close teeter-totter with empire strikes back love the film um but i have to go with episode six i feel like uh, as a kid besides episode three and episode one of course uh with maul i loved everything about return of the jedi i love luke i love vader's arc i love uh endor it's just a great film i love seeing luke with a green lightsaber the whole Jabba's palace just it's it's a perfect film to me so um that's it's almost clear as day why it's number two for me that's a really interesting choice to be fair i think it's one of those ones that it seems to be slightly underrated return of the jedi for some reason i mean in, in terms of the original trilogy anyway because everyone always tends to have you know episode four is the reason people get got into star wars in the first place it's obviously what ignites their love for it episode five is you know generally considered to be for the most part i think one of the greatest films of all time let alone star wars film so uh, Re uh, return of the jedi seems to get a little bit sort of dropped below those in, in people's rankings for the most part um i really love that film to be fair i think it is what it is up there i think i put it in in my top five or six maybe um for the simple reason that i love the inclusion of the emperor in this film Yes. Obviously, original episode four, there was no emperor. Episode five, we just get him as like a hologram, and we learn that Vader actually has a master, which was a big shock to all of us because we're thinking he's the big bad, so to speak. And then the interactions that we get between the emperor and Vader and the emperor and Luke in this film, to me, are the standout bits of the entire thing. Plus, you get to see, you know, it's the first time we really, in, if you're watching it in release order, you get to see how cunning the Emperor is, because he's thought about everything he's seeing ahead, the way that he planned for the Rebellion's plan to turn up to, to the second Death Star and try and blow that up, even though they obviously succeeded in the end. Um, but it's right. just more the fact that, you know, he anticipated the fact that they would be arriving, he had his hidden force on the other side of the moon, to me, that is what makes this film as good as it is. Plus, obviously, in that final battle of the interactions between Vader and Luke, Vader yes. taunting Luke constantly, trying to get him to turn, um, and and obviously Luke almost giving in to his emotions, and he does have a flying fit of rage at the end, which actually allows him to physically beat Vader in the fight, doesn't he? But yep. then Luke has that fantastic moment where he's been wearing all black, and obviously, you know, he sees the fact that he's now got a metal or a, a 
uh, a mechanic hand the same way that his father is, so he's slowly turning into him if he falls to the dark side. And obviously he throws his lightsaber away and he says to the Emperor, you know, I'm a Jedi like my father before me, I will not turn. And obviously the flap on his shirt opens up to show the white underneath to show that he's still a Jedi and the light side is still there all along. I think a lot, this is, yeah, this is a very underrated part of the film and just an underrated film in general. I mean, what else about it that really brings you in to, to have it in such a high spot? <clears throat> yeah, see, like, especially the the uh, robe scene where, you know, where it shows white. As a kid, I was just like, why do all my action <laughs> figures of Luke have that white showing? And I'm like, well, that's just so weird. But, you know, when you get older and understand the film and, like, the writing and the direction it's going, like, it, it almost gives you goosebumps just because it's so, you know, perfect. Um, but, you know, adding the Emperor, I think it's a huge deal that we know, you know, Vader's the big bad, obviously. And um, he has someone who, you know, is in more control than he is. You know, Vader only plays a certain amount of the parts as the Emperor sees everything. And, you know, the Emperor is, you know, probably the best chess player we've ever seen in film. Um, besides uh, Gus Fring, in my opinion, from Breaking mm. Bad, I don't see it. You know, the Palpatine is the one who really plays chess while everyone's playing checkers like they say so i i mean it's just i love the fact um you know boba fett's one of my favorite characters and you know we get to see him for like four total minutes in uh, return <laughs> of the jedi but it's the best four minutes you could ever ask for um but you know and pretty much i mean that's kind of what will wrap that for me um i feel like we've kind of discussed everything that's just mm. perfect about um uh, return of the jedi but a lot of my friends who uh, know that Return of the Jedi is top three, uh, top two in my list, uh, they always give me crap because they're like, man, you got little teddy bears that take up about 30 <laughs> minutes of that film. And it's like, man, those are some dope teddy bears. So don't don't get that twisted. Uh, I, I, I may have to slightly side with your friends on that one. The, the Ewoks were always the one bit of the film that I was a bit unsure about. Um <laughs> I was always a bit like, I remember being a bit young and be like, fuck the Ewoks, man. Like, <laughs> those little bastards, like, how could they take them out? But we also know how shit Stormtroopers are. And it kind of almost make, you know, it's almost making sense and, and balances out that a bunch of fucking teddy bears can take out Stormtroopers. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think the older I get, the less I begrudge it and just accept it for what it is, which is a bit of fun. Um, I, I always love all the theories that get around. It's like, oh, they had a dress for Leia. Does that mean they've eaten people before and just kept the clothing afterwards? Um, or there's always that, like in the celebration scene at the end where you see like the Ewoks and there's one like using stormtrooper helmets as bongos. And they're always people always like, does that mean they ate the stormtroopers that died? And I'm like, um, surely they just killed them and took their helmets? Like, yeah, <laughs> why do they have to eat everyone? What's going on here? I hope it's, so. <laughs> yeah. Sort of working with a cannibalized uh, Ewoks that was yeah a bit scary, but although Battlefront Two, I don't know if, uh, how much you you play that obviously, but um, Ewok Hunt, do you ever play that on Battlefront Two? Um, I have played it. I am horrible at that game, and I don't get it, <laughs> and, and it pisses me off because you know I love Star Wars, so I think I should be good at the game, but I'm terrible at the game. But I do love that mode. I'm a big Battlefront 2 player. Um, I have been for years. I don't play it so much anymore. But, man, Ewok Hunt is always scary to me. <laughs> sort of yeah. like, don't like running around that forest trying to stare at the way of those little fuckers whilst they're just coming for you and the horns <laughs> going off everywhere and stuff. And then <laughs> the light, the battery light uh, just runs out and you just got to wait for it to recharge. You just stood there in the middle of the dark going, okay, I hope there's nothing near me. Um, yeah. yeah. Ewoks equal scary. Um, stay away <laughs> from them, kids. <laughs> um, I haven't 
prepared you for this because I wanted to give me something. I wanted you to give me something off the top of your head for it. But next week, obviously, um, or in the next episode, we're going to be doing um, our, your number one pick, which I have a pretty sneaking suspicion I'm going to be able to guess what that number one pick is. Um, but something outside your top three, give me an honourable mention for something that you absolutely love but isn't as part of your top three. Rogue One. And the reasoning for that, it, it could be a three, but I just think the Mandalorian just hits a little home for me more than Rogue One does. But I mean, Rogue One is, you know, it's one of those films. It's almost perfect. And uh, it's, you know, I love the uh, character of Jen Erso. I think, uh, mm. especially with her dad being the one that ultimately had the brains for the Death Star and, and such a powerful weapon. And I mean, the Death Star has been around for over 40 years and you know in our world so uh just to know that that death star has an origin story characters are great uh the planets are great i love the visual effects and i love mm -hmm. when we get to new planets that actually says you know what planet it is in text um so that's just it's star wars but just a little bit different and the direction of the movie is beautiful and you can't ever leave out the darth vader hallway scene <laughs> I mean, that is something that, that is the literal cherry on top of the cake for everyone, isn't it? Um, something, I, maybe the one thing that everyone talks about the most from the film, because, you know, it's one of the most brutal Star Wars scenes of all time. Yeah. Um, and this isn't even Vader in his, I mean, we talk about when was Vader in his prime, because he was Vader for, what, about 25 years or so. And you could probably say that maybe 10 years before that, it was when he was absolutely this prime in terms of what was left of his physical condition when he was probably around the, you know, the early 30s sort of age. Right. But, but fuck me, in that scene, he's absolutely brutal. Um, <laughs> I remember being in the cinema, and when that scene happened, I jumped out of my chair. I was, like, screaming in the cinema. I don't like make, I don't like to make a lot of noise in the cinema. I am... I'm typical British. I like to sit there in silence and just soak it all in and absorb it. I'm not like the American <laughs> theaters that you see chanting and shouting everything it seems. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like, uh, so, but that scene, I was jumping, I jumped up and shouted at the, at the, uh, at the cinema screen. I just could not believe that scene had just happened. Um, and what a way to end the film. So, and that followed by the CGI layer as well. It just kind of like tops it all off for, for an ending. So, I could talk about Vader all day long. I don't want to get distracted from the fact that Rogue One itself is an absolutely phenomenal film overall. Um, and what I love about that, because obviously I'm going to be reviewing it at some point, so I don't want to go too much into it, but I think what I always love when I rewatch it is that this film was about the connection between them and wanting to fulfill and do something worthwhile with their lives. And when they get to Scarif, each person seems to, because they talk about obviously, you know, the force is with me and I am one with the force, but the force is different for each of them. Like Jin has her mother's like Kyber crystal necklace. And you've obviously got several characters that are sort of connected with the force there, but when they're on Scarif, the force sort of seems to get everyone exactly where they need to be before they get killed and, mm -hmm. and do what they need to do to help the rebellion move on. And that's kind of what I loved about the film as well is that, you know, the force is there that even if no one gets a happy ending at the end of it, they're right. all furthering everything along for the greater good. Um, and, and we see that kind of in, I think, in the Andor series as well, that we're starting to cast him towards the character that we see. Right. But in the fact that he's edging everything towards the greater good and moving forward, and like, you know, with the prison stuff as well. Um, even though it's fantastic that we obviously get to see that what they were building in the prison was being used to, to build the Death Star. Um, but it's just the fact that, you know, bringing everyone together for the greater good to get everyone out there and, and start thinking, yeah, we can beat the Empire. We can do something about this. And, 
that's what Rogue One's all about for me, is bringing everyone together in that sense and, and doing everything for the great good, even if it means sacrificing themselves, which so many in the Rebellion did do against such a greater, bigger empire. So, right. fant- fantastic film. Great <clears throat> pick. Great pick. Love that one. So, Yeah, it's, like I said, it's right there, but it doesn't make the cut. I know what you mean. I think I have a top five, to be fair. Um, if if there was like three more of those Vader scenes littered throughout the <clears> film, <throat> it would probably be top three. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Easy. But we've got a great film to discuss. Love it or hate it, it is a, an, a really important part of the prequels, as every part of the prequels is, to be fair, anyway. But so much happens in this film that um, that is really important. So I'm just going to read off a, a quick plot recap of the film. Um, so we've got the, the story set 10 years after The Phantom Menace as thousands of planetary systems slowly secede from the Galactic Republic and join the newly reformed Confederacy of Independent Systems led by former Jedi Master, Master Count Dooku. Uh, with the galaxy on the brink of civil war, Obi-Wan Kenobi investigates a mysterious assassination attempt on Senator Padme Amidala, which leads him to uncover a clone army in the service of the Republic and the truth behind the Separatist movement. Meanwhile, his apprentice Anakin Skywalker is assigned to protect Amidala and develops a secret romance with her. Soon, the trio witness the onset of a new threat to the galaxy, the Clone Wars. Boom. And of course, some really famous lines that came out of that film. Um, it's so it's this, rough, um, it's coarse. Yeah, it gets everywhere, and this is the worst flirting I've ever seen on my life. Um, uh, she married him after that. So, like, it's crazy. It gives anyone hope. It gives anyone literally, hope. Literally. <clears throat> if, that, if that scorny little whiny kid can use that as a pickup line and it works on someone as beautiful as Padme Amidala, then <laughs> Anyone in the universe has hope, trust me. This film came out in 2002. Um, I remember going to a midnight screen- screening of it at, um, at a cinema with some friends. It was one of the first ones, because I think I remember said to you with episode one, I got to see that whilst I was in holiday in America. So it was three months before it came out over in the UK. Um, this time I got to go with friends. We went to the midnight viewing. Loads of people were dressed up. The local radio station was there interviewing people coming in and out uh, before and afterwards. It was kind of a really big deal. Um, the first sort of really big cinema event that I personally got to go to. Um, the first time we ever got to see Yoda fighting on screen as well. That was huge. I remember when he walked out and ignited his lightsaber, the, the crowd went wild, so to speak, in the British sense, of course. Um, but... What are your feelings on this film? You know, first time you watched it. I mean, set the scene for us to be fair. What was yeah, you know, do you remember when the first time was that you saw this film? So <clears throat> I was actually five when this came out, but I do You re- young, beautiful bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, just only five years old and like I, I was in kindergarten actually, because I remember um I do remember being at the theater. I remember waiting in line and then I remember, you know, bits and pieces. I don't remember the whole thing. But I do remember bits and pieces. Um, and it was just a normal afternoon. Um, but obviously growing up, uh, you know, a few more years, able to understand it more on DVD, watching it back. And I loved the Battle of Geonosis. I would skip everything in the beginning and go straight to the Battle of Geonosis. Mm-hmm. So if Attack of the Clones is, you know, in my mind, the Battle of Geonosis is there every minute of the day. Um, but you know, for that being the first time, it's it's one of those films, especially as a kid, you can really understand, you know, the dynamic of people coming together 
and seeing what happens ultimately. You know, Count Dooku, you know, big, scary, bad guy. Um, he knows the tactics of the Jedi and he's still using them. And I loved a young Boba Fett. It's beautiful. Loved Django, you know, finally seeing um, his fa Boba's father and how he operated. And then better yet, there's a million Django's, so you can't <laughs> be mad. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as a kid, I loved the film, but it was definitely the Battle of Geonosis that stuck out to me more than anything. Nice. Yeah, and it is one of the biggest battles in Star Wars that we get. I mean, in terms of especially on-screen lightsaber battles as well, oh, yeah. um, we've seen some more in games and other projects where you know they they do a few sort of the old-school Sith and Jedi battles. But in terms of on-screen Star Wars, this is by far the biggest Jedi battle that we ever got to see. Um, if memory serves, they they rocked up to Geonosis with two, three hundred Jedi, um, <laughs> and then they they leave with what like ten. That's <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so the fact that you know this is. People obviously look at the the droids and think the, the especially since we see in the Clone Wars animated series the the droids are goofy like they're there for a bit of comedic relief in terms of the voices and stuff like that and that you know they didn't quite have enough money to make them as efficient as they wanted to so that's why we get them as they are but still when you've got that many surrounding the Jedi even you know the some of the greatest Jedi of the time of Mace Windu and Kenobi and, and a young Skywalker the fact that they take out so many. And mm -hmm. We even see what's like Barriss Afis in there, um, Luminara's in there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Kit Fisto's in there, and Kia Mundi. They're all in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's absolutely devastating to see like how badass the droids can be in terms of taking people out. So, but um, what are your overall thoughts on this film? It's generally considered, I think for the most part and especially from the obviously the investigation i've done into where each film sort of ranks this generally tends to be considered the worst out of the out of the nine main saga films um, and generally regularly appears at the bottom of the list how, how are you feeling about that you said worst out of the nine that's how it's that's the ratings how it's and for the most part the general consideration of it um because Maybe not anymore, given some of the sequels. <laughs> but I think out of the original six, it was always considered to be potentially the worst. Out of out of the six, I could see it, but I think it would be number six if we're doing all nine. Um, <laughs> but you know, we're sticking to Attack of the Clones, so I I can see why. I think you know, an hour of the movie is just, you know set in stone. You know. Anakin pulling this horrible riz, as they call it today, <laughs> on Padme. And it doesn't work at first. You know, she's kind of she kind of shows that she's like creeped out a little bit or like, hey, like we can't do this. You know, like, what are you doing? And then like two scenes later, it's like, oh, it worked. So it's like, oh, OK. But, you know, it, it's it's a cool dynamic at the end. I get it. But Anakin and Padme had to be together at some point. So I felt like it was just, you know, it was put in there and. I understand how some uh, original trilogy fans are like, I don't like the prequels and I get it, you know, with some of these points. But if you think about it, could you imagine, you know, episode two coming out in 1980 with the technology <laughs> we had, like there, there couldn't have been battle droids. Like it, like what would you have done? You know, it's, it's just a weird thing to think about, but <clears throat> I mean, yeah, that's, that's how I look at it. It's a fair point with the CGI because I even they had to invent new things to be able to do the CGI for this film. There were some things that were groundbreaking, 
And some people look at it. I hate the way people look at it nowadays and go, oh, it doesn't hold up. Well, it was 20 fucking years ago. Like <laughs> Stuff that was made 20 years ago, 30 years ago, isn't always going to hold up technologically to what we see nowadays yeah, um, and what we have the ability to do nowadays. So given that at the time it was groundbreaking and that they actually had to invent new things to be able to then implement them for this film. Um, I think one thing that always shocks a couple of people when I say that in this film, not a single piece of clone armor was physically manufactured. Every single bit that you see is CGI'd. There was mm. not a shoulder pad, not a chest plate, not a helmet. Nothing at all was was manufactured. It was all done as CGI. And for the most part, you can't really tell. You right. think that at some point, there's going to be some people with just a few of them there, and maybe they then use CGI to replicate them. And everyone else is like, nope, every single bit of that is CGI. Kind of reminds me a little bit sometimes of that scene in um, in Return of the Jedi where Vader's coming out the shuttle ship and you see the big like squadron of stormtroopers that are still in the hangar bay and that was a fucking painting. Yeah, you don't even <laughs> like realize. So I think when you don't realize that, and people give it a lot of crap sometimes for the CGI in this film, and I I don't stand for that. To be fair, I think the CGI still works when you're looking at it, especially when because obviously you do get those idiots that kind of go, well, well, if you look at the original trilogy that's set, you know, 20 years later and everything looks duller, it doesn't look as good, the weapons and the spaceships don't look as good. And you're like, well, the Empire suppressed the galaxy for 20-odd years at this point. The whole point was to run down the galaxy to make sure they're the ones in control, not the people. So the people don't have the best tech anymore. The the planets have been run down and they've been um, exhausted of all their resources for the Empire. Exactly. It makes sense to then have something like the prequel trilogy that looks shinier, looks newer, everything looks better because it was still in the time of the glorious Republic. So I don't really stand for, for the talk about the CGI. So Nah. Um, go back to your point though about the Anakin Padme bit, just because it always makes me laugh every time I watch this film. It's like um, that sort of bit when they, after they've had dinner and they're sat by the fireplace and Anakin starts his little sort of like Riz attempter and he's like, I, 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 you know, I think about you all the time. You're always in my thoughts. And she's always telling him, no, we can't do this. And it could be our secret. And she's like, we'd be living a lie. And I'm like, woman, have you seen how you're dressed? I don't like, like normally pointing out that kind of thing. But if you're trying to reject someone, you don't have an evening sat by the fire staring at each other's eyes dressed like that. Like, <laughs> it's just—it's like if I'm showing off my calf muscles to my wife. She's got a thing for calf muscles, I should say. They're just a bit, just dangling them out in front of her, and she's just like, "Oh, why? How how are you tempting me like this?" And I'm like, "So it's just—it's the same <laughs> thing in reverse. It's just how can you be looking that fine and then think that that's going to put him off? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're staring right. into each other's eyes, sat on the sofa <laughs> by a fireplace." Like dressed like the, one of the most gorgeous women in the galaxy. Like fuck me, give the guy some. Like he's nineteen. He's, what, is he? What's he there? Yeah, he's nineteen, isn't he? Yeah, so nineteen. Give the like, give the guy his home, hormones a break for God's sake. Stop dressing like that. He's a he's a growing boy. Okay. <laughs> in many <clears throat> ways, um, it's and it's, plus uh, you got to think um, how how easy of the acting could it have been? You know, a young Hayden Christensen looking at Natalie Portman that way. I mean, yeah. I get it, but I mean, that, I feel like that makes his acting job even easier. Yeah, you, to be. I mean, it's well. it's real. Yeah, absolutely. But let's um, let's dive a little bit into some of the characters then. So let's start with Padme, since we've been talking about her. Um, I actually think there's a bit of improvement with Padme in this film because I know that before we spoke that maybe Natalie Portman's acting is a bit wooden um, at times in, in episode one maybe because that's just you know, the sort of I think it's maybe the wrong word but you know stuck up queen sort of way of, of going about it. In this film she 
automatically, even though it's, I mean, it is 10 years on, so she automatically looks a bit older. She's more composed. She's now a senator um, for the Republic rather than the Queen. Um, and so she seems to have matured a lot and she's moved on. Um, and she's obviously, you know, being a thorn in the sides of a lot of people because they want to kill her. Right. Um, you know, your thoughts on Padme in this film? Um, yeah, I feel like I was the advocate for saying, you know, it was just kind of just very bland, but I feel like that sets the tone for her character. Um, you can definitely see where Leia gets her uh, political side. Uh, it's definitely all through Padme. Um, <clears throat> but in episode two, it it seems that her character has had a lot of growth and especially, you know, right off the right off the gate, you know, we get the uh, Naboo starship blown up right at the beginning. And mm. the way you could see uh, Natalie Portman's Padme Amidala show, you know, some sadness, uh, you know, for Corday, who just got blown up and died because basically that's what she's putting the job for is if something happens, she's the one that's supposed to play you know, Padme. So I think it's really cool that, you know, right off the bat, it's already a different character, but you can tell she's grown a little bit. And, uh, you know, even throughout the whole film, you know, shutting down Anakin, uh, once they get to Geonosis, you know, she has to trust Anakin and basically be by his side to survive. But obviously I love the part when Obi-Wan's like, or Anakin's like, you know, where's, how's Padme? And then Obi-Wan looks up and he's like, seems to be doing well, you know? So, <laughs> You know, we get to see her, you know, be a badass because even in the Lego uh, Star Wars games, it's kind of like you can just like, you know, kick ass with Padme's character. And you're like, uh, does she do that? And then you think of the movies, you're like, oh, yeah, she does kick some ass mm. on Geonosis. So, you know, I think the I think the acting just went up the next level, you know, to the furthest. Yeah, I think she did a really good job, um, Natalie Portman, which given where she was from a couple of you know, because obviously it was only what two three years before episode one came out um and she seemed to have matured herself as a bit of an actress in that time as well not just the character of who she was playing right. um because you know we see her from things like mars attacks which was the first real thing i seem to remember her from um and then she was only she was obviously only young doing that and then going into episode one and then brought into episode two and yeah definitely um, a much bigger improvement and padme starting to prove why she was such a force in the senate um, and a pain in the ass on a lot of other people's backsides in this film. She does a really good job. Um, still a bit cheesy, I think. You know, it's rolling around in the field with Anakin always still gets me a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, I think there is no escaping that between Padme and Anakin in this film, there are just some definite cheese cheese ball moments. Um, it's created a lot of memes, and we're never going to get away from it. We've already mentioned the the sand moment. Um, <laughs> But it's just after all these rejections of him and then just before they're about to go out to be sentenced to death in Geonosis, she's like, um, I kind of do love you, actually. I was just sort of like kidding you around, you know, kiss me now, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, I was like, oh, fuck's sake. It's always at the last moment when death's on your door that you're going to admit that you actually love him. Right, um, come on. Like, at least give, throw the guy a bone, tell him a bit earlier, for God's sake, you know. <laughs> he's pouring his heart out to you. So um, she makes the interesting decision, though, I think, is like um, when they're... Um, on Tatooine and Kenobi's in trouble um, and the Jedi Council tells Anakin to stay put and they'll send someone over, over they'll send someone out to, to Geonosis and she's like your mandate is to protect me and so you have to come with me and I'm going to go save Kenobi so the fact that it just shows that you don't need to be a Jedi have the powers to be right. brave and to do the right thing she is one of those forces for good that I think gets overlooked so much um, 
we'll talk about it obviously when we do episode three and and the way that she dies at the end of that film but the the, the rest of the time she's such a force for good and that she's always doing the right thing about it. and we see it so much through the clone wars animated series as well she refuses to sit down and 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 take a back seat even if it puts her life her relationship with anakin um on the line she will always do the right thing and i think it's something that she's so underrated for oh yeah i agree you know the, the way she sticks up for herself and just basically takes a lead and she doesn't need anyone else's um opinion or judgment she's just like i'm doing this whether uh yeah basically like you said whether it affects me or anyone around me like i'm she's definitely a go-getter and that's a good part for the story hmm, absolutely Let's let's move on to Master Kenobi. Um famous mullet for this film. Um our our resident Jesus lookalike for this for this particular outing. <laughs> Space um, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um to me, I don't know how you feel about Kenobi in this film. Obviously, we'll we we'll, you can get to that in a sec, but for me, I feel like this is actually his weakest outing out of all of his Star Wars outings. Um I don't think he actually plays that really prominent role in this film he doesn't have too much of an influence it's just him kind of whining a bit about how Anakin never listens to him right. and then goes off and does his own thing anyway <laughs> um, you know probably his, his most important scene in this is when he has his chat with Camp Nuku I find because um, he obviously apart from because we're going to get to it, because I want to chat about that. It's sort of in conjunction with Django, but obviously when he goes to Geonosis. Um, but, you know, up until this point, he's not able to work out, um, you know, what's going on with the Kaminoans, and he goes to visit them and stuff, and he's just not sure about what's going on. He obviously chases down Django Fett, um, and then he's captured and has has a chat with, with Dooku. Um, and again, the fucking Jedi Council and Kenobi just refusing to believe that there is a larger Sith power at play. And literally, Dooku tells him everything. Yeah. He's like, there is a Sith Lord who is now in control of the Senate, influences all of them. They all do his bidding without even realizing it. Um, I was never obviously sure whether Dooku was being honest about the fact that he was like, if you come and join me, we can stop him. Whether Dooku was trying to prime him to be a sort of his own apprentice and stuff like that. Um, and whether they would actually be able to take down Palpatine, but yeah, for me, this was Kenobi's weakest outing by far. Um, he didn't have a lot to do in this film, and and what he did do was maybe not the right the right path that he took. What about you? Yeah, those are you know you nailed it. You know, uh, I think I think Obi Wan, you know, definitely uh, besides his looks, you know, this is the this is the space guy right here. You know, this is Jesus himself. Uh, we, you know, a lot of people love this, um, look of Obi-Wan, but I do have to agree, you know, especially in episode one, he's young. Uh, we get to see his, um, his arc just beginning and you always love that for a big character. Um, you know, he takes down Maul, he avenges his master and it's definitely a super, super sad moment. And then he has to take on a huge responsibility of a child who doesn't, who the Jedi council doesn't even want. So basically going into episode two, you're kind of like, well, if we're going to take this, you know, um, few year, uh, up to 10 years of a time jump, we're noticing that he has a huge responsibility and we'll see how that leads up with Anakin. Obviously the Anakin we just talked about is the Anakin we get. And, um, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, meeting Jango Fett, 
basically doing all the big roles that is needed to be done uh, for the Jedi Council. And just the the way that Dooku is like, hey, th- there's this guy. His name's Darth uh, Sidious. Uh, he's behind all the scenes. Uh, basically, it just told you everything, literally. So mm-hmm. if you want to take that up and uh, and then he's just like, nah that's you're wrong it's like dude come on you know believe like at least think about it at least be scared of that idea and it's just like i think that uh arrogance and that ignorance from mm. obi-wan it just it never sits well you know re-watching it because it's like bro literally you know scenes before he's talking with the geonosians and has that hologram of the death star that's i love that scene that's just awesome and knowing you know that Palpatine is literally the missing piece. He tells him everything he needs to know, but just doesn't say that Sidious is Palpatine. It's 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 so annoying. I love Obi Wan. He's one of my top three characters, but this that movie it it just doesn't sit well. It always pisses me off. Yeah, you know, absolutely right. I mean, him and the Council again in this film the the overarching arrogance that they have that they don't believe. That the Sith have returned, or that they're they're there to to basically have been doing what Dooku said they've been doing is just unbelievable. It gets me every time. I mean, you know me in the fucking camps and the prequels that they piss me off no end. Um, and unfortunately, Kenobi seems to be a bit of an extension of of, of them in this film in terms of how he acts and how he thinks. Um, did it always strike you a bit stupid as well, though, in, in the fact that he couldn't work out. When obviously we, he's looking to try and find Camino on the map and it's deleted, <laughs> and he can't work out. He's like, "Why are all the why are all the planets and, and stars in this system going all towards this one point? Yet there's nothing on the map." And he has to take it to the room of kids training with Yoda, and for one of the kids to point out, um, "It's not there," even though everything's going around it because someone deleted it. And it's like, "Could you not work that out on your own?" <laughs> yeah, come on. Did it really? Did it really take a ten-year-old to tell you that? <laughs> it's... I think the best part of that scene too is when Obi Wan or Yoda laughs at Obi Wan, kind of <laughs> like, "Yeah, this is uh It's pretty. You just explained it. Come on." <laughs> oh, that always gets me. That yeah, Kenobi wasn't the greatest of um. And there is some what annoys. There are some great deleted scenes from this film. Um, that I think I think. It seems to be the case more and more nowadays. Obviously, this is 20 odd years ago, but if one or two deleted scenes were put into the film, and they're only like 30 seconds long, it would give a bit more explanation, a bit more gravitas to certain situations. And that bit when he's in the... Because um, we don't get a lot of explanation about Dooku. We just know that he's a former Jedi that left. Yeah. And he seems to have now turned. Um, and there's a bit when he's in the library looking at his statue in the in the in the Jedi Library and Jocosta New comes out and they're having a quick chat about him and talking about he how he's one of the um was it the twenty fallen or thirteen? I can't remember if it's twenty or thirteen that they was talking about. Um I think it's twenty, twenty fallen. They call him the twenty fallen, which is like twenty people that have actually left the Jedi of their own free will and rejected them and gone off to do their own and left the order, sort of like as as Ahsoka does in Clone Wars. Um and that Dooku's one of them. I just you need a bit more explanation, but Speaking of Dooku, let's move on to him. Brand new character for for this episode, uh, for this film, sorry. Fantastic character, in my opinion. Played by uh, the great late Christopher Lee. Mm -hmm. um, Who, as I found out not too long ago, was real real life friends with, I can't remember his name off my head, maybe you'll correct me, uh, the actor that played Moff Gideon. uh, Moff Gideon, not Moff Gideon, Moff Tarkin. Um, Peter Cushing. That's it. Um, They were real life friends. Oh, wow. Um, 
and so the fact that yeah they both played sort of Star Wars villains, but obviously a long time apart, um, is a very just a little cool side note to be fair. But Dooku in this film, hit me with your thoughts. Uh, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee were both in Dracula, weren't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they got a. That's a long friendship too. Mm. Um, you know, leading up into the late '90s, early 2000s. You know, for uh, directing. But uh, <clears throat> uh, another uh, fun fact: Christopher Lee is actually. I saw a thing on Instagram, and he's like one of you know many to do this, but like the last to do it. So he's actually seen the last public uh, execution used with guillotine. Um. Yeah. I seen that. And then also he like served in the war at some point and was like a huge role actually, like in the war. Mm. Uh, and it's just like, man, this dude is done and seen some shit. Oh yeah. And Christopher Lee has been around and definitely has some stuff. Yeah. I, I remember the guillotine factor. I think it was France, wasn't it? You saw the last public beheading with a guillotine in France or something. So yeah, I was just like, Oh my God, dude, this guy. And then he gets beheaded in the freaking. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what is going on, man? But, uh, <laughs> You know, Dooku loved the character. I'm finally happy I get to add a uh, uh, Count Dooku Funko Pop into my collection. Uh, I, the Walgreen exclusive from uh, Revenge of the Sith is so expensive. You can't, you know, <laughs> you can't get on eBay without getting it for at least 50. And that's just crazy. But it, someday, maybe. But Count Dooku in Episode 2, it's, it's cool that we get no background of a character but we get you know just the little spritz uh we get to understand this character uh fresh um i do think it's really cool that you know he's in that jedi lineage of the skywalker you know going from yoda to dooku qui-gon obi-wan and you know all the way down the line but it's it's awesome that he knows that um he can use qui-gon uh in a factor you know to uh, understand and to get under the skin of Obi-Wan, hopefully hoping that that works. And, you know, besides episode two, I do love the Dooku aspect of tales of the Jedi. I thought it was better uh, than the Ahsoka episodes, in my opinion. Um, I, I love to see that, you know, Obi-Wan finally knows, uh, or we see that Obi-Wan was uh, uh, wrong. You know, the Dooku did go in there and just wipe it out. Uh, and it's, I think he is the most interesting character because when we're talking uh, the dark side on my podcast, uh, me and Bailey were talking about, you know, how prominent of a role Dooku plays and especially, you know, dying at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, Mm. just everything he does with Palpatine. And he's also a pawn, you know, Palpatine Mm. plays all of his uh, Padawans or, you know, his apprentices. But it seemed that Dooku has that edge to everyone. You know, you think, could Maul beat Dooku? It's like, mm, I'm I'm on Dooku. Uh, could Qui-Gon beat Dooku? It's like, ah, I'm taking Dooku. Could, you know, Yoda and Dooku, you know, we get to see it. And, it, you know, it ended in a draw almost. So, I mean, it's just Dooku is so strong with the Force. And it, the way, you know, his character is portrayed, you know, big shout out to George Lucas on writing it. Beautiful mm. character, you know. It's you know, you get goosebumps thinking about Count Dooku and uh, the what ifs for him and what could have happened if, you know, he didn't die. So, I mean, great character. I love it. Yeah, absolutely fantastic character. And I love that as the lore has gone on since episode two came out for, for his character, that he has been pretty much established as one of the finest swordsmen 
of of not only just this generation but of all time. A lot of them say his, you know, his fighting style, his fighting stance was the most eloquent, um, but also the most combat effective because he had that ability to work out the weaknesses of, of others and use the force to his advantage in that respect of, of highlighting his opponent's weaknesses and then being able to exploit that. Um, but just his, his elegant, what he does with when he really ignites his saber as well. Um, I don't know who came up with that, but it's a, a beautiful little thing. And I know that on in episode two, even though he couldn't obviously, because of his, bless him, his advanced age at the time, I think he was in his, what, 70s or something when he was recorded doing that. Um, yeah. He couldn't obviously do too many of the fight scenes. Um, and we do see in his battle with like Kenobi and Anakin a lot of close-ups um, because obviously he could just do the stuff up close. He couldn't do too much of the, the actual running around and they had a stunt double to do that for him, bless him. So, um, But still the fact that he it was so eloquent when he does you properly see him with a lightsaber i think it's fantastic and, and we get to obviously see more of it in animated stuff like you said in terms of the jedi clone wars um it just adds more this is what i love about the fact that you know, you can do all this stuff with the main films and then go back and fill in the gaps afterwards um so many things try and flesh out their story in a film and it just doesn't work because you either have to cut stuff out or you concentrate too much on them and not other stuff and the fact that you can then go back and do all these comic books and, and TV series and stuff that fill in all the gaps. And Dooku's one of those that's had a lot of fill-in. And he's deserved it. He's been a fantastic character for a film and a bit to have that much rich background then as well. Yes. Yeah, and that's that's what you got to love about um, any Star Wars character is how much they can play into roles that, you know, we don't see, you know, on screen or um, word-of-mouth stories. And, you know, shout-out to, you know, Clone Wars. You know, like you said, you know, we get to see a lot of Dooku and the the roles he played, you know. And I love the the uh, stories of, you know, Count Dooku and the uh, Separatists going against the uh, Night Sisters of Dathomir. I love that entire, uh, yes. <clears throat> that entire uh, story. It's just awesome. I do not need my eyes to see you, witches. Um, <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Sorry, that was my rubbish little Dooku impression. <laughs> um, let's touch quickly on a character, because he doesn't actually have too much involvement in this film, but Palpatine, um, the man himself, the, the big bad, doesn't have a huge role to play in this film. Um, it mostly, he, obviously, we just see him sort of having a few chats with senators here and there, and then his biggest bit, whereas him and... Um, as Amada a, a sort of trick Jar Jar into voting him more executive powers. Uh, that seems to be his sort of biggest play in this film, which is just, you know, it is him just consolidating his power in the Senate um, and then talking about the military and then, you know, enforcing the fact that they then c can use a clone army. Um, but just not to that much involvement in this film, but just laying that groundwork to consolidate his power before episode three. Much to say about Palpatine in this one? Um, yeah, he is kind of, you know, the, the shadow figure, but ultimately plays, you know, one of the biggest parts in the film, uh, behind the scenes, but, uh, what it like, especially at the beginning, you know, where he's talking to, uh, you know, Yoda, Mace Windu, and they're just like, you know, the dark side of the force is, you know, clouding our judgment. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you just don't know what you're talking about right now. And then <laughs> they're just like, yeah, that's, that's kind of right. And it's like, are you kidding me? Come on. He's right here. Like how, like he, I know he's so powerful in the force and especially with the dark side, you know, it gives you all of these um, motives and different things that you can do uh, strategically, but it's just like, are you Yoda? Come on. 
aren't you the grand master? Like you're the only one that has grand master. And it's just like, man, you gotta, it, but it plays the story. You, you understand in the end, but it's just like, ah, episode two Palpatine just irks me. It's just like Obi-Wan, <laughs> you know, it's like, come on. Yeah. Would have been nice to have a bit more of him in this film, um, mm-hmm. to see that deviousness and that underhandedness. Um, yeah, so they do it with a scene where they convince Jar Jar to be the one that steps forward and, and puts forward the emergency power idea. But apart from that, there's not much else to say really about Palpatine in this one. Could could have done with a bit more of him, to be fair. I love Palpatine. Um, I'm going to be doing an episode soon that's um, greatest on-screen heroes of all time. And just as a little sneak preview for anyone that ends up listening to that, Palpatine is in my personal top four. Um, and so for someone that appears in there, we're going to be covering that a lot more in the next episode that we do, but I would have seen, loved to have seen so much more of him in this one. Um, cause all of his outings we see before that, you know, episode six and then episode one, um, you know, the two ends of, of, of his story to be fair at that point, um, mm-hmm. in terms of where it started and ended for the, for that time being anyway, um, it was just, he was so good and, and so underhanded and so sneaky with everything and, and, and well thought out and planning. He's just an absolute genius. Um, yeah. And obviously in that episode, I will talk a bit more about why I, he's in my top four, but my God, we needed more Palpatine in this for sure. Absolutely. Um, let's move on then to, uh, let's talk about Django, Django Fett. Um, <laughs> I, I knew, I knew to... you were saying it. I knew it. <laughs> um the daddy fat as i think he should be called um you know the 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 clone template or the template for the clones himself um fun little facts because i've been obviously like to put out some out there um the moon that Django fat was recruited on by darth tyrannus also happens to be the very same moon um that ahsoka and rex crash into in the finale episode of the clone wars um, where the Vanator ship crashes and they obviously leave, they put all the, the helmets on the sticks and she leaves her saber behind for Vader to find. Yep, that is the exact same moon um, that Django Fett was recruited on to be the clone template. So, wow. Um, nice little, I liked that fact when I when I found out about it. So, because it kind of ties the start of the Clone Wars and the end of the Clone Wars together um, in, in a little way. It's whilst technically the Clone Wars didn't end on that moon. Um, right. The series obviously does does end there, and so it's a nice little nice little tie-in for that one. So, go on then. Let's talk about Django. Hit me with it. What do you, I know you love this guy. Tell, talk, tell me about him. I just learn stuff every time I come on your show, man. I always <laughs> learn something and walk away with it. And I'm like, hey, look what I found today. I am an Uber nerd. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Fets, man. I've always wanted to have a dog or a cat or something named Fet or Django. <laughs> And, you know, when you hear the word Django, people are like, oh, like the Django Unchained, you know? Yeah, that's a good movie. I'm like, no, Django, OG Django, Fett. But um, I love Tamora Morrison, great actor. Mm, I think he great. kills every single, you know, role he gets. Um, and got to love him, you know, coming back as Boba Fett. I think that's a great part for uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni's writing. Uh, it's really good, especially paying homage to those old characters. Um, or old actors, but you know, mm. a young Tamora Morrison playing Django Fett, it's really, really nice to see, you know, um, that OG Mandalorian, uh, armor. And, you know, I love the, the parts where he's, um, unarmored and, you know, he's at Camino and he's basically just kind of living his life, but he's kind of, you know, the way he, you know, cuffs his sleeves a little bit and shows that swagger when he's talking to, uh, 
uh, Obi-Wan. I think that's really cool. And uh, seeing all the the clones being made and obviously they have like a second um, character, you know, playing mm. Tamora Morrison and there's just millions of them. And to know that they looked at Jango Fett and were like, this is the guy that we need clones of because it's a brute force, very, you know, uh, talented with the dual dual wield pistols of warrior. And then nonetheless, Mandalorian, you know, he was, you know, found when he was a, a child, he was a foundling and he also served in the great Mandalorian war. So a lot of callbacks for Django and he's, he's definitely came from the bottom. So, and Din Djarin kind of has the same uh, lineage and upbringing as Django does as well. I think they kind of, if if I'm just thinking to myself, I think they kind of did that on purpose. You know, he was, mm. you know, family was uh, killed and then he was, you know, rescued by Death Watch. I think that's really cool how they throw that in there. But uh, for me, episode two, you know, other than um, Anakin and Padme and then Count Dooku, I think Django plays a huge role and definitely good for original trilogy fans to see this said character in Boba Fett, who was very short lived and short screen time lived. Uh, throwing his father in and seeing a young Boba, it all makes sense uh, character-wise. So I love Jango Fett. Great character. Mm. And of course, we get the introduction of Slave One. Um, seeing yes. the original, obviously, Slave One uh, before Boba took it over, um, which is always a great inclusion. Um, like you said, a, a short but sweet sort of um, uh, character that we get in the film because obviously gets beheaded by Mace Windu in the Battle of um, in the Battle of Geonosis. Um, and I always love people. Always people always say, "Ah, oh, you know, just right in the bit where um, Mace is running up to him. Why doesn't he ever just try and fly away?" And I always have to point out to people that one, he just got trampled by. I can't remember the name of the animal, but you know, the the horned animal that was um, that trampled over him, the bull. Um, the, the before that, and does da- damage his jetpack because just yeah. before Mace Window swings, he tries to fire it, and you actually see it tries to fire, but it goes kaput. Yep. And so therefore he can't fly away and gets his fucking head chopped off. Um, and the endless joke as well of when young Boba, then obviously we see that scene where he leans down to pick up the helmet and stare at it. And there's always the joke that the Django's head just pop out and fall out at the bottom <laughs> of it, um, which would have made it slightly more brutal than it needed to be. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the shadow of his head uh, shoot out of the helmet as well when he got beheaded? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't I was... see that to be fair. Because I always used to think about that. And I'm like, well, that, that would be weird, you know? Is, and why, yeah, it's just a weird thing. Did you see, though, uh, the extended cut of Django actually um, getting beheaded by Mace? The extended cut? Um, <clears throat> I'm so sure if, I must have. If you haven't, I'll send it to you, or you can even look it up. But it's mm. uh, Windu, as he's charging him, he like does a spin move cuts off Django's left arm. Oh yes. Stabs his leg and then does like a spin move and then beheads him. Mm. So it's like, Holy man. (laughs) Like that. I I understand why they didn't go with that. Cause you kind of feel a little uneasy after. Cause you're like, Oh my God, why do you do him like that? But um, I mean, part of the reason why they did pick Django to be the, the clone template was because he wasn't just obviously a formidable warrior and on one of the galaxy's most renowned bounty hunters. He had previously killed Jedi. Um, yeah. So they, you know, they wanted to have the DNA of someone who was a Jedi killer for the clones. Cause that was obviously going to be their ultimate plan to use the clones to eliminate the Jedi. So they wanted to have someone who had that knowledge and ability to be able to take out Jedi. So 
can't really blame um, Sidious and, uh, and Tyrannus for wanting to uh, to recruit him. Um, a great clone Templar, and shame we didn't get to see too much more of him. It would have been nice to see a bit more of him elsewhere um, in terms of like some of the animated stuff. Um, so, so yeah, shame, shame really that we don't get to see too, too, too much of him before that or ever. So a fleeting appearance for a character that has had a lasting impact on um, on Star Wars, given you know his role in this film. So um, I believe we have one last big character to talk about, um, Mr. Mr. Anakin Skywalker. <clears throat> he has a lot going on in this film. Um, you know, he rocks up at the start and and goes full on crazy stalker mode on Padme. It's like I've thought about you every day for ten years. Um, it's like Jesus, mate, calm down. You've only just seen her. Um, like, yeah. like still need to lay it on that thick straight away. Um, and you know, and then they they rock off to to Naboo with him protecting her, and they have that that fireplace scene. And of course, you know, he's absolutely epic. Um, going on so. And then, obviously, they um, he gets the dreams about his mum dying, which is starting to show his his power that he's getting premonitions of the future. Um, rushes off to um, to try and save her. Obviously, we get that little reunion scene with him and Watto as well. Um, yeah. When Watto pretty much shits himself when he sees another Jedi standing in front of him after how it went last time. Um, so, um, yeah. And then when he realizes it's Anakin, he's like, "Oh, cool, you can do me a favor." And Anakin's like, "I ain't in the mood for this bullshit. Where's my mum?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And obviously he goes to, and this is where we get Anakin truly starting down that that path of the dark side, or, or the most prominent thing that we see anyway, isn't it? Um, in terms of he go, his mum dies in his arms, and then he slaughters all the um, all the sand people, the poor Tuscans that were there, yeah. um, and not just the men, but the women and the children, um, and the children. And Padme seems to have fucking no real reaction to this either, which is always a bit, always hit me as a bit odd. Like he's there, like having a full mental breakdown, telling it, telling it, screaming how he killed all of them, not just the men, but the women and the children, and how he hates them. And she's just like, "Come in for a cuddle. It's fine. It's fine." Yeah. Um, That's fucking weird, weird reaction. I think. Um, <laughs> but Anakin obviously then. Yeah, he gets his moment with Padme at the end where she tells him that she loves him, they have a kiss and a smooch, and then he spends the Battle of Geonosis protecting her for the most part. Um, <laughs> and then um, he has his big showdown battle at the end with um, with Dooku when we see his rash, arrogant, um, overconfident side when obviously Kenobi's like, we'll take him together. He's like, I'm going to take him now! Ah! Um, and just goes for it and gets his ass whooped straight away with Force Lightning and obviously loses <laughs> an arm as well during this battle. He held his own for about, what was it, about a minute with Dooku before Dooku chops his arm off. Yeah. Um, just go to show how far he really had to go. Um, and this always makes me laugh as well. The fact that, okay, well, most people around Anakin kind of knew um, after, for the most part, of the Clone Wars about him and Padme. You know, Kenobi obviously knew, Rex knew, and you know, we suspect that probably Yoda knows. But you ever seen, notice that bit that after Dooku's escaped and Anakin and Kenobi kind of get up and Kenobi's hobbling because he's got his arm and leg injured and Anakin's missing his arm. When Padme arrives, she runs in and she's like, Anakin, I run straight up to him and sort of like embraces him like they're touching foreheads, wraps her hand around his, 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 his head. And there's just fucking Kenobi and Yoda just stood next to them, just ignoring the shit out of them. <laughs> I'm just like, um, did you not notice this going on? Like, was that not slightly suspicious for you that something was going on there? Come on! 
at least you just had almost a lover's embrace without physically kissing in front of you. Um, and and does that not give you some clue that some shit was going down? Come on, Yoda, sort your shit in the council out. Come on. Right, yeah. Um, and then obviously they get married at the end in a lovely ceremony um, in Italy. Sorry, I mean Naboo. Um, <laughs> but Anakin Skywalker has a pretty traumatic episode um, for for this particular film, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, you know, the way they go in and uh, meet Jar Jar once again, and then finally um, Padme. Uh, and <clears throat> like you said, Obi-Wan knew it. But uh, Obi-Wan, I feel like, would have been, you know, the biggest hypocrite because, you know, he was kind of the same way with Satine. So I he definitely, you know, has that respect for Anakin. But at the same time, it's just like, we have a job to do. And I love how Obi-Wan always says that to Anakin is, we have a job to do. <laughs> And so do they. So let's do our thing and then, you know, do your thing later. Um, but, you know, Anakin definitely, you know, has the um, the young kid. I mean, we've been there, you know, the way your emotions are just up and down and you think everything is just set on, you know, one person. But truly, you have zero idea what's going on. And I think that's what Anakin's going through at first. And then definitely, you know, with the trauma of, you know, not seeing his mother every day mm. to, you know, seeing into the future and seeing that she's in trouble. And that obviously sets up and we get to see Anakin show some dark side tendencies, you know, which is really awesome to see with Jedi, you know, because they're, you know, they're humans at the end of the day, you know, they're going to be mad. And Anakin definitely showed that. So seeing that and getting that uh full closure he finally got to see his mom again but it like he would never see her again you know just knowing that it's just kind of tragic and then obviously Qui-Gon reaching out through the force you know like trying to get him to stop but you know obviously it was too late so you kind of have that weight of Anakin's character you know sitting and until you know they get to Geonosis and the dude breaks his freaking lightsaber so you do all this <laughs> stuff you kill uh Tuscans and then you lose your lightsaber. And then it's like, oh, Obi-Wan's going to kill me. And it's like, oh, my God. Some of these punchlines are so bad with Anakin. But I get it. And I love Hayden. You know, great actor. But, you know, leading into Battle of Geonosis, you know, after having all that time with Padme and they finally come together and it's almost official that they're a thing right before they go out to the, you know, Coliseum and they share a kiss. And it's just like, all right, it's only up from here. So we're just going to expect that Luke and Leia might be coming at the end of this episode. <laughs> but <clears throat> yeah, obviously they're, you know, wedding in Italy, like you said. I've seen a lot of people on social media go there and kind of reenact the ceremony scene. I think it's pretty cool. It's That's awesome. But yeah, Anakin, yeah, Anakin definitely has, you know, the uh, huge up and then a huge down all of a sudden. And it's just definitely good for the character of Anakin Skywalker. So, I mean, if there wasn't an episode two, Anakin definitely wouldn't be the, the guy we see turning into Vader. So this is true. Yeah. Whilst obviously there was 10 years of stories in between episode one and two that start his, I mean, his journey's always been obviously destined to go down that route anyway, uh, <clears throat> to, to Vader, sorry, but obviously the, the bits in between that we don't necessarily get to see and that are filled in by books and comics and, and some of the novels, I think, the original novels that came out, the, the prequel films, obviously expand a lot more on how, how those characters are feeling at certain moments, and especially for episode three, which we'll get into next time. But in terms of, yeah, Anakin's journey obviously does start here, especially since 
you know, I always like to think about when he said in episode one when he leaves his mum to to leave with Qui-Gon, he's always like, you know, I will see you again, mum, I promise. And then the next time he actually sees her is the time when she dies in his arms. And that obviously just starts, fuels that rage that he wasn't able to save her and he never got the chance to go back for her um, and stuff like that. So I think he always resented the fact that the Jedi never went back or never freed his mum in the first place, didn't he? And this right. was always a sore point for for him with that. because uh, he's But the Jedi never would have accepted him to the Jedi Order if his mum was still there with him, would they? So it's kind of like he never would have gone down that path if your mum had come along at the same time. So um, it's, it's really, I always feel bad for him in this episode because it's super sad. You can feel bad for him with the fact that how he's manipulated into turning to the dark side in the first place and stuff. But to me, this is a really sad episode because I feel like no one takes him seriously enough. He's still looked on as, as a whiny, emotional, unbalanced teenager in this film. Right. And he's not, quite given the seriousness that he or he's not treated with the seriousness that he maybe needed to get past some of these issues and start flourishing i mean kenobi has said plenty of times that he you know in due respect he wasn't necessarily the right person to train anakin um he he couldn't help him with some of the issues that you had but yeah i always feel sorry for anakin in this episode more than any other episode um because i think he's so mistreated in this episode um yeah, He's I agree. Manipulated the the fuck of out of an episode three, which I said we'll get to. That's but I just feel in terms of sadness, I feel more for Anakin in this episode than any other because he's just not treated how he should be, and it always yeah, it's always a shame for me that this is the story that starts him down the path to, or the final stretch of the story that leads him down the path towards episode three because we see in the Clone Wars he's. What I love about the Clone Wars is how much more context it does add to Anakin. But at the same time, it's it's obviously they just take the breadcrumbs of Episode Two for his journey to start down the the dark side, mm-hmm. uh, and how he then you know uses that throughout the Clone Wars as well. Um, and the fact that you know he's quite happy to force take a prisoner um, or beat <laughs> the shit out of a guy who's hitting on Padme. <laughs> um, Rush Clovis, I believe his name was. Um, <laughs> yep, Clovis, that, that smarmy little bastard. <laughs> And he's like, I don't need the force to beat you. I've got a metal hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I absolutely feel for Anakin in this in this film. Um, oh yeah. Anyone else you wanted to touch on in terms of characters from the film? Um, I think we kind of cover the characters. I will say, you know, I, in my opinion, the best sound in all of Star Wars comes from this very episode in a nice yeah. Slave One seismic charge. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're not wrong in that one. And I always thought this one sounded better than the one that they gave us in The Mandalorian. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I don't know why. The one in The Mandalorian doesn't quite sound the same to me. It's Um, like not as bassy. I think maybe, I mean, this could be the science nerd in me coming out again, but the fact that the one in this episode is done in space, so it's a lot clearer, crisper sound, whereas the one in The Mandalorian is done... In on a planet, essentially, or right. just up in up in the sky of a planet. So the, there's more disturbance, more air disturbance. It doesn't, it wouldn't sound as crisp as maybe it would do in space, even though technically space is a vacuum and sound shouldn't travel. So right, um, thank you, oh, sorry, the science. No, let me coming out again. But, um, I mean, that is true. Um, but maybe, maybe that's why we got a slightly crisper sound out of it. So yeah, it's also a but movie it is too. Rocking. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah, it is absolutely rock rocking sound. To be fair, so oh yeah. Your 
overall thoughts then on the plot for for this film. So the the whole story from the assassination at the beginning to Palpatine consolidating his power um, to Anakin and Kenobi sort of splitting up and doing their own uh, missions, um, resulting in the Battle of Geonosis and the start of the Clone Wars. I um, if I was to rate it like on a scale, I think I'd give the movie a solid seven out of ten. Um, I think it is very rewatchable, mm. but at the same time, when you really think about the overall plot, there are some holes, of course. Um, but you know, you get to understand the dynamic of Anakin Skywalker, like we've said. Uh, we understand why he becomes Vader. Uh, this is like the big first step into being Darth Vader comes from this episode, uh, Luke and Leia, um, their entire lineage starts in this episode. That's where the, the love sparks, um, Obi-Wan failing Anakin. You can kind of understand, you know, the way Obi-Wan takes those initial steps into how he, um, kind of, uh, snarks at Anakin. You can see how, you know, Anakin doesn't want to listen to him. And, Pretty much overall, the demise of Count Dooku, you know, him wanting to, you know, recruit Obi-Wan and that not working, you can kind of think, like, does Palpatine feel that he's reaching out to others to maybe overthrow him? But also, I think with uh, Count Dooku asking Obi-Wan to join him, it's kind of a throwback to the famous scene of Vader asking Luke to join him. I think it was just mm. kind of like a prequels version of that. Um, but I do love it. And I think the characters in attack of the clones, you know, we get to see, you know, old Dex diner Dex. You gotta love him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zam Wessel's a cool character, you know, as a changeling changeling. Yeah. And, uh, a young Boba Fett. I, I can't go wrong there. And I know others can't as well. And then, you know, Papa Fett, um, the, and I think the Kaminoans uh, are really cool characters. I think mm -hmm. they're a unique species. And Kamino uh, live action, you can't go wrong. But overall, the plot, uh, yeah, I'd probably have to stick with a 7 out of 10. It's rewatchable. Um, yeah. In terms of all 11 Star Wars films, so not just the Skywalker saga, but throwing in Rogue One and Solo as well, where do you put Attack of the Clones on your list of Obviously, it's not top three, um, but yeah, where does it fit in your overall ranking list? Out of 11, I think I'll go seven. Uh, you you, you got to have Rogue One in there. You, over, mm. I think the first six, original uh, episode one through six, those are the top six, but pulling out Attack of the Clones and inserting Rogue One. Fair. I think that's a fair assumption. So... <laughs> Well, that's it then. That's our review of uh, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Um, thank you very much indeed for joining me, um, as you did for Episode 1 for this. Next up in our Star Wars review, we are going to be doing Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. I cannot wait to be talking um, about this with you. Uh, but in the meantime, man, tell everyone at home exactly where we can find you. By the way, actually, before you do that, tell us, how is your new podcast going? For anyone that doesn't know, uh, Clan Randallorian has a, a new podcast that he's doing with one of his friends. Remind me of his name? Bailey. Bailey, that's it. Sorry, I'm terrible with names off the top of my head. Um, but you're about, what, five episodes in now? Um, we just uploaded the seventh. Oh, seventh, sorry. It's okay, been quick. Bad. I'm a couple behind. I'm a couple behind then. Because um, I only get to listen to stuff to and from as I'm going from work. So, um trying to catch up with you and a couple of others it's been a great one so far i've been really enjoying your podcast how's that been going 
Yeah, it's. I felt like at first, um, Bailey and I have talked off camera. So, you know, when you're talking, you know, for the first time, uh, you, you don't want to do everything uh, more so uh, scripted. You know, you kind of just want to have plot points and then just discuss, mm. you know, because it's we're not, you know, putting on a Broadway show or anything. So um, but it, it's going good so far. You know, I'm excited. Uh, we're, uh, you know, getting some guests on, you know, we're going to have you on there as well. So looking forward to branching out and then bringing more Star Wars fans in because that only opens up your mind and you learn new things and you discuss more different things. But like, like I said, it's going the way I want it to very, very chill. And that's basically the vibe I want for, uh, the clan Brandalorian podcast, but yeah, it's going good. Nice. I'm really glad to hear it, man. Tell us where we can find it. It's basically we're running YouTube and uh, that's what we're uh, trying to get all of the uh, podcast uh, video and audio onto. And uh, we do have it on Spotify as well, but everything, uh, all social medias, YouTube and Spotify, it's all clan Brandalorian. Uh, My name's Brandon and I love Mandalorians and it rhymes. So you got (laughs) to run with it. I was thinking about, uh, doing brando calrissian but i didn't really like that <laughs> oh, oh no i love that that's great <laughs> but i was thinking i love billy d williams he's awesome but uh i i couldn't you know take his character so i just kept it real simple and mandalorian clans and just flip the name so clan brandalorian get it stuck in your head come check us out that's where we are absolutely i will be back next week with something new to discuss with you uh, but everyone until then Unlike Sam, the Force will be with you, always. Thanks for tuning in to the Galactic Core Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. But until next time, go get your geek on.